Now, Lord, may the words spoken this morning be your counsel and not my vain imagination, we ask in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And I invite you to be seated this morning, and if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, uh, you can look at our gospel this morning, uh, which is going to be our primary source, uh, Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. And we're also going to be borrowing from, if you have a book of common prayer, uh, the exhortation to a holy Lent. And we're going to see, and our hopeful takeaway this morning is that we can see how the call to a holy Lent was demonstrated by Christ in, in the desert. Five days ago, followers of Christ sent off on their Lenten, Lenten journey. Now, over the two-plus millennia of the church, this was not always the case, because in the earliest days of the church, <clears throat> Lent would have begun tomorrow, which was the first for the first five centuries. It was celebrated on that first, kicked off on that first Sunday. In Lent, uh, for us, the Western Church in the uh, about the mid sixth century, uh, the decision was made uh, because what you, you have a situation where Sundays are not are not fast days. Sunday is a, a break in the Lenten fast, and the idea being was that you know let's let's push this back <clears throat> to the preceding Wednesday which will in effect give us a block of 40 weekdays uh, for, the, for the Lenten fast. And interestingly enough, our, our brothers in the Eastern Church, uh, Greeks, Syrians, uh, Russians, etc., will begin their Lent, which they refer to as the Great Lent, tomorrow morning. But they, have a, they, they will be rather than an Ash Wednesday type uh, observance, uh, they are having today in Orthodox churches around the world, they are having a service of reconciliation. And what, <clears throat> to me, it's, it's analogous to us passing the peace between one another prior to us celebrating the Eucharist. That they might enter their Lent with a right spirit and not with ought against somebody. Uh, <clears throat> But much, much has changed in the millennia since following the inception of Lent. Today, for the irreligious, Lent has become a fodder for crass jokes and banal uh, humor. Uh, if I had a dollar for every time I heard somebody say, oh, I'm giving up Lent for Lent, or something silly like that, uh, uh, if I say I'd have a good pile of pocket change at the very least. But, uh, and even within Western evangelicalism as a large, uh, the, the American Protestant church, for, the, uh, for a large segment of it, is Lent is dismissed outright as something that Catholics do. Uh, we're, we're not, you know, we're Protestants. We, we don't observe Lent. Uh, but I have to say, and, and I don't say this with a, you know, to whack them over the head with this, uh, mockers, are, mockers will continue to mock the season of Lent until the return of Christ and every mocking lip will be buttoned tight. Uh, but I, I say for those who, who sincere, you know, Protestants who sincerely love God with all their hearts, 
in dismissing the season of Lent, they are robbing themselves of such a great blessing. And considering the fact that for us as Anglicans, uh, the season of Lent is integral to our life and, and living out our faith, spiritual lives as Anglicans. Lent, though we are called to pick up our cross daily and walk uh, following Christ, Lent gives us 40 days for an intentional uh, devotion to God in this, this season. Within our prayer books, we see an unambiguous call to a proactive consideration to call and call of a holy Lent. In this, we read of purposeful activities that the greater church should be engaged in. It was a time when catechumens, those who desired, uh, were called to come to the faith, were given special uh, instruction in the faith uh, that they were preparing to to profess. It was at this time, those who were, were called to salvation, they were in church for the reading of the word, Uh, for the homily, of the prayers. But then a prayer of blessing was said over them and they filed out, much like the way we saw our children leave here this morning, going out to children's church. But those catechumens uh, left, uh, left the church to be instructed in the faith. So on that great vigil eve, and you know what I, you know what I love about Easter vigil? Aside from the incense. That first great alleluia that we proclaim, that we just shout from the rooftops. I know a couple of us still have at least one alleluia left in us during Lent because I caught myself saying it. But uh, it, it's, it's a great time. It was a time for these catechumens to uh, be instructed in the faith. It was also a time for those who had committed grievous sins uh, were brought under uh, church discipline and awaited reconciliation as they, as they produced uh, fruits of repentance. And just as the catechumens were welcomed into the church as, as full members on that great Easter vigil, just like the prodigal son walking home when dad saw him, uh, you know, the church runs and grabs those penitent hearts and welcomed them back in an embrace. And that's, that's what happened uh, during Lent. Now, I have in myself, in my own life, and I, I suspect you can relate to this in yours as well, I have set out with the best intentions of pursuing a holy Lent, only to see those intentions crater just off the end of the runway when I'm thinking I'm, I'm taking off and climbing to altitude. Now, we can be, I can lay this at the feet of attempting the spiritual through, through the agency of the flesh, but I am a slow learner, uh, and I would dust myself off and try again next Lent, only to crater in to the ground just off the runway. Now, given the popular definition of, of, of insanity, that being repeatedly following the same steps while expecting a different example the next time, uh, I, w- I was doomed to failure. And perhaps if, if in self-examination you think about your own life, it's like, yeah, I've been there. Uh, yet, what if we were to consider something novel? Uh, what if we were to consider something that's been right in front of our faces all these years? Uh, 
What if in following the example of Jesus in his 40 days in the desert, we would see that the example that he blazed uh, for us uh, via what uh, I call the Via Christi, the way of Christ through the desert. Uh, you know, if we do this, where we might also reap the fruits of a holy Lent. And it's from this that, uh, that I've titled these thoughts, The Way of Christ or the Via Christi. We, as we consider this gospel passage, we see immediately Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert for a 40-day fast. Now, Scripture uh, speaks to the purpose of this type of fasting, and even though so Scripture is silent in this, this particular case, we can confidently uh, assert that this allowed, himself, allowed him to self set, a, set self aside uh, for the purpose of hearing from God the Father. There is scriptural precedent, precedent for this all through Scripture. One particular passage that jumps out in my mind was the period of divine communion witnessed in the life of Moses and captured in the book of Exodus. Where in Exodus 34, 28, we read that, so he was there with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights and neither ate bread nor drank water. Uh, he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant and the Ten Commandments. Uh, I accept the scripture's intentional silence about what was happening during those 40 days and nights. Uh, I did, did a little um, uh, meteorological homework, if you'll have it, figuring, okay, this, this time of Lent, uh, I looked at, at the far western Asia in the desert. What would it have been like to be out there uh, with Jesus for 40 days. You know, we, we think of uh, that area being relatively arid, dry, uh, but this is also a time when they get some soaking rains. It's not all that unpleasant if you'll have it during the days. The days, temperatures rise up to about 60 degrees, but the problem is with those clear skies, uh, when, the temperature, when the sun goes down, there's no cloud canopy to hold the atmospheric temperatures in, and it plummets like a stone. Uh, Jesus didn't, you know, we didn't read where Jesus stopped at REI on the way to the desert to, to get some proper equipment. He went out there with what he had. Uh, so very likely, he, he had his cloak to keep him warm on, on those, those nights. Um, but we see that, that under those clear skies. In this primitive, primitive setting, Jesus waited, watched, and prayed. And at the end of the 40 days, Jesus was hungry. Now, there is an impulse to render this as, as an understatement or maybe you think, well, yeah, Captain Obvious, he was hungry after that. But I believe there's quite the opposite and there's something going on here that we have to understand. In Everything Jesus did, just about everything Jesus did, was an act to identify with those that he came to redeem. Uh, when Jesus came forth for his baptism, the one who didn't, had no need of baptism was baptized so he could identify with those who did need to be baptized. And in this case, it calls our mind back to, while well, Jesus was in the desert uh, for 40 days, 
the people that he came back to redeem. Their grandfathers and grandmothers were in the desert 40 years. 40 years of suffering, deprivations. Uh, 40 years of essentially dying in the desert uh, because of their disobedience and hard-heartedness. But by Jesus being hungry, he was identifying with the people of Israel. And they received, they received sustenance in the form of manna when, when God spoke it into, it into existence. They received liquid nourishment, water, hydration, uh, through the agency of God working through, working through Moses. And so, yes, this picture of when the Luke says he was hungry, it tells us that he wasn't an, an ethereal spirit like some of the early church heresies would say that, you know, there, Jesus was non-non-corporeal. He was just a vapor, if you'll have it. He was fully human in every way. Uh, you consider that. Uh, while the call for us to pick up our cross and follow Jesus is a daily one, uh, this, this Lenten uh, uh, season gives us that chance where we can uh, understand what was going on, the focus on, on what was happening. And it's, it's also a great spirit for us at this point to carry out uh, and to worship together, come together in small groups, families, or even the entire parish and greater uh, we're all called into this. It's also a reinforcement for us to understand. And this, in my estimation, is the bane of the Western church, is that over the years, we have treated Christianity like an individual sport. It's not an individual sport. Yes, God had, has no grandparent, God has no grandchildren, nephews or nieces. We all have to come. To, to Christ individually on his, his terms. But we do not live out that faith individually. Uh, there, there is a temptation for, for Westerners, Americans especially, to look at Christianity as a transactional uh, relationship. We say it's sinner's prayer. Hey, punch my card. Uh, in the Pentecostal church, I got sanctified. Here, punch my card. I got filled with the Holy Ghost. Here, punch my card. It's not, doesn't work that way in any shape or form. It, it is a relational, relation, it is relational. And not only is it relational in a vertical sense, it is relational in a horizontal sense. Uh, unlike what Cain said, yes, we are our brother and sister's keeper. And it's in Lent that we have the opportunity to be our brother's keeper, coming together. Uh, Great things that, that come, and, and I think of some, some faith communities that I'm very familiar with, some of the exercises they do in, in the Lenten season. Uh, the NAC, NALC Lutherans, they tend to come together on Wednesday night for what they refer to as a Lenten soup supper. It's, it's a modest, it's, it's nourishment, uh, it's delicious, but it's modest. Soup and bread uh, followed by prayer, uh, worship and, and fellowship, but it's it's a chance where where communities uh, you know grow grow together. 
Uh, but that's just one of many examples in, in seeking to carry out a, a holy Lent. Uh, the first thing that Jesus faced here, it brings out that, that uh, Luke brings out in this gospel passage, is I call it the temptation to the expedient. Now, as Westerners, we've been historically, up until relatively recently, where we started having a government tell us, oh, you can't take care of yourself. You can't do that. You didn't build that. Uh, we've been taught to not dawdle. Uh, Larry the Cable Guy, who can say it better than get her done uh, when it comes to taking care of ourselves. Uh, we are conditioned early to dive in and take care of whatever obstacle uh, is in our presence. We learned in, at the tender age, the first time we heard uh, uh, Franklin's epistle to the Yankees, that the Lord helps those who help themselves. Uh, so, you know, there's, there were, and when we consider where Christ was at this point, he was hungry. There was no apparent limitations for what would have prevented Jesus to command the stones to become warm, nourishing bread. One minute, you're, you're looking at baseball-sized sandstone rocks. Next minute, you're standing inside Panera when they pull all the baguettes out and let them cool, cool and the, just, the restaurant just smells like doughy decadence. Um, there were no, well, there, there were no, there were no uh, limitations of Christ's power to do that. Consider Cana, when he basically took what was dirty dishwater, and turned it into a fine vintage. Later, we read of, of his taking, uh, another time, basically not changing stones to bread, but creating bread and fish out of nothing to feed over 9,000 individuals with baskets to spare. A hot loaf would have been nothing at all. Now, I did say earlier that there was no apparent reason and in the flesh, there was no apparent reason, but at, this lied at the, at the spiritual core. As Christ was experienced in this stomach-churning, chewing hunger, again, as we mentioned, he was identifying with those he came to save. And the truth was contained in his response when he said, answered the devil, and I thought of, uh, what I almost named this, this thought was speaking Deuteronomy to the devil, but Rich Mullins coined it 30 years ago, and I don't want don't to rip him off. But Jesus answering said, but he answered, is it written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Like Moses, Jesus had been in the presence of the Almighty for nearly four, four a month and a half, all the while being preserved from starvation. Uh, like Abraham, he, he, like Abraham knew uh, God the Father, Jesus knew God the Father as Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And, and, with all, and with his will and complete submission to the fathers, there was a perfect bond of trust that when it was time to eat, God the Father would ring the dinner bell. It wasn't for him. Uh, just like when we were kids, we rush home from school, the first thing we want to do is grab a handful of Oreos. Would mom say, not yet. And in the same way that we were chided not to uh, ingratiate our flesh, 
Uh, Jesus reminded the devil that no, I am not ingratiating my flesh on my own. It'll be the Father's prerogative uh, to feed me. Uh, we see the second temptation, which I, I see as a temp, the temptation of being presumptuous. The tempter spoke a second time to Jesus with a more complex comp, uh, proposition. The devil took him into the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of, of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself off this, this pinnacle. Um, after all, for it is written, he will give his angels charge over you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Uh, Christ finds himself now seated at the highest point of the pinnacle uh, pinnacle of the temple, far below him, uh, likely were priests, Levites, worshipers, all engaged in, uh, in the art of worshiping the Lord. Uh, the commentary R.G. Tasker suggested that this may have taken place at the time of the evening offering, where the lights, it's, it's dusk, the lights are falling, uh, people's eyes are, you know, the person on perched up on the, in the catbird seat on top of the pinnacle is not going to be readily visib visible uh, to people on the ground. And it was from this standpoint in the mortal, this was a precarious point where one misstep would result in a very quick plummet down to a certain death. Uh, in that situation, you know, it's not the fall that kills you. It's that sudden stop at the end of the fall which, which gets you. And this was not a simplistic uh, temptation as the previous one. Uh, again, rep it, in some ways, it's, it's reminiscent of the temptation of Eve, where the adversary, as a flourish, by injecting Scripture into the temptation, albeit, uh, you know, injecting the words of the psalmist, although wrenching it wildly out of its context. The implication was clear. Surely, if Jesus were indeed the Christ of God, then God would be obliged to intervene and save him from peril. And even to the point of dispatching holy angels to get down there and catch him before he, he craters on the temple floor. Uh, this temptation of, of the... You know, when, when we read this, it is very reminiscent of the era of Balaam uh, dealing with the Israelites, uh, where... Balaam was, was being asked to, hey, you know, they disobeyed you, God. You're obligated to smite them. No, God was not obligated to smite them. And that's where he didn't get it. So once more in this situation, uh, Christ quotes Deut out of Deuteronomy. He said, it, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Christ would have no part in anything that would force the Father's hand in intervening to clean up his disobedience uh, and willful disobedience. The fact, but we see interesting, the fact that the Father has promised divine protection to the Messiah was not only a matter of Old Testament prophecy, this would be quickly played out shortly after this passage dealing with these temptations. Uh, we know as a child, uh, Jesus was, was protected uh, through the, the agency of, of the angels as they spoke to Joseph saying, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. 
again protected by the agency of the angels when the angel uh, woke Joseph and said, hey, you got to bug out, dude. Herod's coming for, for your baby. Uh, he was miraculously spared from that. Uh, but in one particular instance, and we're, we're going to encounter that, it's not part of our message today, but as we read on a few paragraphs down, we see where Jesus had his first public sermon in, Na- in Nazareth. Uh, that went over well, didn't it? Uh, and interestingly enough, the same thing that was the devil was tempting Jesus to do in taking a, a pinnacle dive off the ground, uh, the ones that heard Jesus' message were suddenly turned into in just crazed lunatics to the point that they grabbed him took him up to a high hill and at the brow of the cliff, their desire was to throw him down with a similar reaction that would have happened if, if Jesus took, took a pinnacle dive. But what happened in that situation? I love it. I don't know what it looks like, but when you read that Jesus simply walked through the midst of them. God, you know, God didn't smite. God didn't break out the lightning and thunder. He just allowed Jesus to just exit the scene, and, and on he went. Um, so we, we see this, uh, just a, a beautiful in, indication. And again, to quote that, verse, verse 4, 29 and 30, And they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through... He went away. Uh, now, while proclaiming the words of I- Isaiah during Nazareth, that, as we said, this, this crowd wanted to do this. And in our 40-day pursuit of, of a holy Lent, it gives us time to pause uh, in reflection and self-examination, asking ourselves, how many times have we acted presumptuously in the face of God? How many times have we prayed presumptively in the faith of God? One of the, one of the secrets scripture tells us, if, if you want to have your prayers answered, pray according to the will of God. God is not uh, Amazon, Ex- uh, Amazon Express. Hey, God, del- I need this delivered, and in two days it's going to be there. Uh, God is under no such obligation whatsoever. For the love of Pete, he saved our eternal souls. What more could we ask for than that? Uh, That we know, and we're told throughout the New Testament, that as we pray according to God's will and not presumptuously, he will be fast and faithful to answer those prayers. Uh, So, when we fi- if we find ourselves grumbling over unmet expectations, this is a good time in Lent to stop and, and consider, hey, am I where I need to be spiritually? Uh, because if through self-examination, we found our, if we find ourselves that we've slipped into a rut, we can, through prayer and repentance, do as, as I, I love that expression in this call to a holy Lent, make a right beginning. I'm reminded of the guy that, that goes to the orthopedist and said, Doc, it hurts when I do this. The doctor says, stop doing it then. Uh, 
And within that self-examination, if we see that we're in a place where we are shooting ourselves in the foot spiritually, we can repent and make a right beginning and not have to do that. The final temptation is that of the temptation to override divine decree. The adversary in this last round of temptations presents a vision of all the earth's kingdoms of humanity in a moment. I try to imagine what that looks like. You know, was there Rome? Was there Babylon? Was there Washington, D.C.? Who knows? Uh, I'm I'm not going to second-guess Scripture other to say that he saw all the kingdoms in a a minute. Uh, And it, this Satan offers a, call it a modest proposal, if you haven't. Take a knee, and I'll give all these to you. In another temptation steeped in utilitarianism, the word of God, the one who saw Lucifer fall from heaven, is now asked to take a bow. I mean, hey, if the end ever justified the means, no pain, no suffering, no humiliation, uh, no being nailed to a cross naked, receiving all the scorn that was going to come, but at what cost? What would it cost? And Jesus buckled under this temptation and took a knee. The cost would have been devastating and having gone far beyond the temporary loss of divine honor, it would have resulted at the loss of his bride, the church. In other words, if Jesus took a knee, we would have been left without a redeemer and without the hope of redemption, we would have been eternally lost without hope. But it was at this that Jesus gave his most withering rebuke. And in my mind's ear, I can hear voice, God's voice reverberating through that Judean desert where Jesus then said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord, and him only shall you serve. Uh, And it was at that point, Luke records, that immediately the angels came to minister to him. Probably brought fresh bread. We don't know. But uh, as we we consider this, as we we, uh, close out this thought, uh, I can promise you, I, I can make you one promise today and you can bank on it. If you endeavor, if you've endeavored to keep a holy Lent, I promise you that our adversary will do his level best to throw out distractions, squirrels, and shiny objects, all to get our mind off off of that pursuit of of, ta- of walking the Via Christi. Uh, but Scripture tells us, and how you know, what do we do in this moment? St. Paul reminds us in chapter 6 of, the, of his letter to the Ephesians, stand firm. Uh, St. James, in his epistle, tells us simply, and you can repeat this with me because I know you have it memorized, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that it is life and health and sustenance to our souls. May we all, in in the example of of the Via Christi, take up our cross 
and follow Jesus into the desert in this, this time of, of Lent. Uh, that in this, that we may encounter you in greater measure, that, that we would be equipped in greater measure today to be your hands and heart extended uh, to the world that so desperately needs your Son. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.